We uh, continue on today in our spring teaching series that we're calling the Gospel-Centered Marriage. And today, you've been waiting for it, physical intimacy. And so, uh, I wore my pink shirt, pink for romance. (laughs) Uh, One of the most enjoyable parts of my ministry is officiating uh, Christian weddings and I stand up there at the altar with the bride and groom. One of the few occasions that I wear a suit, somebody has to get married or has to die. And um, I look at them, and they're staring into each other's eyes, and they're all nervous, but they're up there together. And they're looking into each other's eyes, and she's thinking, I just love this man. And he's thinking, I'm having sex tonight. (laughs) It's just how it is. And many Christians, uh, man, many Christians, they wait, and they wait, and they wait to have sex until they're married, and I completely believe with conviction from the scriptures that this is God's desire for us, but what happens is that we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and while the rest of the world around us is, is having sex outside of marriage, we're in our minds building it up as the, the pinnacle of, of life, where everything gets better when it, it happens for us. And we create in our minds this image of physical intimacy. And, and marriage um, is, a, is a wonderful gift of God, and physical intimacy is a wonderful gift of God. And it is much to be desired and to be longed for, uh, for those who are not yet married. But what we often do is we wait and we, we build it up in our minds as we mix the, the Christian perspective of marriage and we also mix it alongside of uh, what we you know, get in various perspectives around the world, whether it be from TV or movie or magazines or internet or locker room talk or music or advertisement. We throw them in a blender and they just get really cloudy and mixed up, and we need some clarity because, you know, few people are talking about these things with our faith very seriously, and so we need some clarity. And in fact, what Christians oftentimes do is they just simply say, don't have sex until you're married, and leaves many Christians just to say, well, it's dirty and it's bad. And what happens is as these desires naturally arise in in adolescence, uh, rather than being able to talk openly with younger people about these things, we say, no, just just wait, just suppress, and it becomes bad in their mind, and it becomes dirty in their mind, rather than painting it as this is this wonderful, glorious, amazing gift of God. We simply just say, wait. Just, Just wait. And because... Christians can't talk about these things. It's just cloudy, and we need, we need clarity. And we're left to sort out all the various distorted sources that kind of come our way, and we create our own image of what sexual intimacy is. I wonder what your image of what sexual intimacy is. What happens with our image is when we get married, we oftentimes will, will find that the image that men create and the image that women create are often uh, very, very different. 
and, well, you know, you're married now, so at least you can talk about it inside of marriage, right? Nope. So what happens is a lot of married couples, uh, they don't talk about it. They just kind of let it happen and then eventually not happen. And so we can talk openly about budget and about home buying and about jobs and about scheduling, but very few couples will talk about how they can achieve greater sexual intimacy. And so many will lie in bed and they'll have fear and frustration and comparison and pride and guilt and confusion And it's not good, and it's not what God intended. And so today, we talk about it. For the married, we talk about it. For the unmarried, we talk about it. And listen, if it's uncomfortable for you, I promise you it's much more uncomfortable for me up here. (laughs) This is not something I preach on very frequently. (laughs) But physical intimacy is such a huge part of who we are how we're created as humans by God's design. And so we got to talk about it. Can I serve you by talking about it sacrificially? It's not easy. Here's where we start. As with everything else we've looked at in marriage, we start at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2, 24. And you don't need to turn there. Uh, We're going to turn somewhere else in a little while. Uh, This is an incredibly important passage to marriage. I mean, just incredibly important. Um, and so here's what, here's what it says. Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast. Other translations will say and cleave. And hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And here's how we know this passage of scripture is so incredibly important. We know it because uh, it's repeated just numerous times throughout the scripture, it becomes in the scriptures the go-to passage on marriage. Jesus in Matthew 19.5 and Mark 10.7, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.16, 7, 10, and 11, Ephesians 5.31. It is the go-to passage on marriage. And so Genesis 2.24 is a passage that God's people through the ages keep looking back to. Here's what God says this is God's design. This is how he wants it to be. And that passage again says, a man shall, a man shall, in other words, this is what God wants to happen, and this is how God wants it to happen. A man shall. This is his perfect design. And here's what I mean by how God wants it to happen. I mean in this chronological order. The order that it happens is very, very important to God. That one, the man shall leave his father and mother. There's a growing up to be done by a man. You've got to start to pay your own bills. You've got to show that you're ready to support a woman. And then the woman, much like God, brings his daughter Eve to Adam in the creation account. A woman, her parents will then bring her to the man. Hence the tradition of the father bringing the woman to the altar and then handing her over to the man, that a woman will then be handed off by her parents, and then they will be legally joined together or cleave together. They will leave, and then they will cleave in accordance with God's law, scriptures, and in accordance with the laws of uh, the government, which we as, as believers should be committed to. 
And then three, then they shall become totally one. That means their assets become one. Uh, emotionally, they become one. Spiritually, they become one. Physically, yes, they become one. And that happens when? It happens after the wedding day. This is how it shall happen. A man shall do this. This is God's perfect design for us to get legally married in his eyes and in the eyes of the law and then and only then do what married people do and that is move in together, that is uh, have physical intimacy. But Josh, come on man, it's 2013 for crying out loud. I mean, let's go with the times, right? Doesn't this kind of stuff evolve and, and, and change with, with time? No. Why? Because this was what we call creation mandate. This is how God created it. This is how God designed it to, to be. The, 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 the Bible goes forward and throughout the whole Bible, they keep going back to this. As time changes, as the Bible moves forward, guess what doesn't change? This mandate. They keep going back. This is how it shall happen. This is God's unchanging plan. And now, Within marriage, within this beautiful covenant of marriage that God has created, God wants you to have incredible, uninhibited, fulfilling sexual intimacy. It's this wonderful gift of God. It's an amazing gift of God. We're called, in, in Genesis chapter 128, think about this, we're called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That is, to have children and have lots of children. Fill the earth. It's a, it's a good thing. Now think about this, the means by which God created us to do this, sex, is fun. And it is fulfilling. And he could have created it simply just to get the job done, right? It could be as ungratifying as a handshake, but instead he made it pleasurable because it is a gift. The Bible makes it really clear that it's not just about procreating, it's about Having fun and being fulfilled in it and enjoying yourself, it's a delightful gift of God. The Bible makes that very clear, and I want to show you that. Look together with me at Proverbs chapter 5. This is our primary passage today. Proverbs chapter 5, 15 through 19. If you have a Bible, turn there. Um, If not, we have Bibles provided in the seats here. And if you don't have one at home, please take that home. It's our gift for you. But let's let's read this. Proverbs chapter 5, 15. Through 19, right in the middle of your Bible. Here's what it says It says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Those are some good song lyrics right there. All right. This proverb is directed at a man in marriage. If you want to look back to verse 1, it's directed to my son. My son, and then he moves forward. It's directed at a man, and it, and it, and it kind of illustrates for us uh, his sexual intimacy with his wife as refreshing water. That it's, it's good, it's refreshing, it's fulfilling, it's, it's necessary. And, and here's what we can take away from the passage. We can take away this. This is really the main point for this morning, and that is that God wants spouses 
to enjoy faithful, fulfilling, and frequent sexual intimacy. And if you're a note taker, write that down. That's also the outline this morning, that God wants spouses, married couples, to enjoy faithful, fulfilling, and and frequent sexual intimacy. And so let's start with really the first point, and that is faithful, that he wants you to enjoy faithful sexual intimacy. And and the proverb puts uh, quite a bit of attention on faithfulness, on fidelity. Look at verse 15. He says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. That your physical intimacy with another person is for the spouse who is your own, right? That means that you are committed to her, or you are committed to him, and she is to you, or he is to you. You are committed in God's covenant of marriage. She is not yours, or he is not yours, until you have made that covenant before God and all these witnesses. And so here's what that means. Fidelity and and faithfulness is far more than just not cheating on the person you're married to. Faithfulness and fidelity is, is being with someone who is yours. And not being with someone who is not yours. And, and, and we'll see uh, that word yours again as we look at 1 Corinthians 7 uh, in a little while here. And infidelity is intimacy with anyone that you are not married to. Well, that should be clear enough, but I should probably be specific because we're in a culture that really abuses this. And so that includes... Sex prior to marriage, even as you say, well, we're, we're going to get married. Until you've made that covenant, that person is not yours. God makes that really clear. They are not yours. They're not yours. They could be somebody else's someday. So it's certainly not yours. So sex prior to marriage, um, sexual stimulation via pornography, which is photos, yes, magazines, It could be writings, it could be movies, anything that stimulates what was intended by God for marriage alone. That's why Jesus will say it this way. He will say that that looking lustfully at another person, just looking lustfully at another person, he calls that adultery. The only person that is intended to satisfy you in that way is your spouse. And should you wait for that, it makes it, when it comes, far greater, far more enjoyable, far more incredible. Not that God can't redeem and restore and he wants to and he can and he will. But he says, listen, looking lustfully at another person, that's that's infidelity. That's adultery. And for the married, this one's important. This also includes emotional intimacy with someone of the opposite gender. You ever heard of what some call an emotional affair? You ever seen that happen in your own workplace? Somebody, you know they're married, but they're having an emotional affair. It doesn't often happen like in the movies. Or, you know, a guy's on a business trip, and he goes up to the bar, and he sees a really attractive woman across the way, and they just look at each other, and they know what they want to do, and so they just sneak out and go upstairs. It doesn't often happen like that. Here's how it generally happens. It starts with an emotional affair. 
starts with somebody getting too close to another person of the opposite gender that they're not married to. And so it can happen in your neighborhood. It can happen at your workplace. It can happen, I've seen it, not here, but many times before, it can happen in the church. And we have to protect ourselves from these things, that we have to be faithful. We have to be cautious to not be with someone who is not yours. And God gives us these commands not to be a a killjoy, but he gives us these commands to protect what he has in store. He says, I have something incredible for you. Don't mess it up before you get there. I have something great for you. He doesn't say, wait, not talk about it, not think about it, not go there. No, he says, wait, protect it. And let's talk about it so that you can see what I have coming, so that you can see why I want you to wait, so that you can see how amazing it's going to be. This passage is incredibly concerned with faithfulness. That's why verse 15 says, The man is to be faithful. Drink water, my son, from your own cistern, from your own well. And then what does he do? In verse 16, he he flips it on him. He flips it on him, uh, and, and, and he says that she is to be faithful as well. He says this, What if she was unfaithful to you? Talking to the man. Hey, what if she was unfaithful to you? Says, verse 16, Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them, or we could say her, let her be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. And I love what's happening here, that yes, he must be faithful, yes, she must be faithful, but I love how, as it's directed at the man, that how how he flips it on the man and gives the man a hypothetical, and he says, hey, listen, yeah, you're not to be unfaithful, but let me even say this way, what if she was unfaithful to you? What would that do to you, to your pride, to your heart, to your love? What would that do to you if she was unfaithful to you? Now, here's what I think it does. I think we're touching on a very important issue here, and that is this. And that is that once people are married and once children come along, it's, it's easier for a man to be unfaithful than it is for a woman to be unfaithful. Now think about this. When women have children, women have children as they, they should, we're being fruitful and multiplying, and that's always a potential when being uh, in, in, in a physical, sexual relationship. They have physical, very real physical changes that take place. That puts her in a place where she is far more vulnerable than a man. It doesn't really change a whole lot of the physical anatomy of a man, and so she's left more vulnerable. That's why you can oftentimes picture an older man with a younger woman, but much more uncommon is it to see an older woman with a younger man. Not that it doesn't happen, but it's much more uncommon. And I appreciate how this passage flips it on the man and says, listen, imagine if she was unfaithful to you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and I love what the scripture is doing here because it does this so often is that it's seeking to protect women because they put themselves in a very vulnerable position should he leave them, should he be unfaithful to her. She's in a much more vulnerable position. She's got children that she's raising. I mean, it's not, not uncommon to see a single mother. It's very uncommon to see a single father because usually he takes off and leaves her with the kids. And the physical Uh, repercussions as well. And so he's protecting the women. And the Bible does that all the time. It protects women from being used and abused and left behind. 
And so be faithful, men. And it says, verse 16, women are to be faithful as well. And the Bible makes it clear in this passage, this is a good gift. It is to be in, enjoyed with your spouse, someone that you're married to, you're covenanted with, where the gospel, the good news of Jesus is front and center, where I am committed to you like, like Jesus is committed to you, like Jesus is committed to me. I'm going to love you like Jesus loves you, where I'm not, I'm not making you vulnerable with the chance of me moving on. I'm not moving on. I'm here for the long haul, like Jesus is committed to me and you for the long haul. That gospel commitment, that, that guarantee in that relationship leads to the best, most fulfilling, most free physical intimacy imaginable inside of marriage, not outside of or prior to, but inside the marriage covenant. It's, it's wonderful. Now, don't buy the lies that you're going to hear. Well, you know, man, you've got to test drive the car before you buy it. Stupid, right? Well, how are you going to know if you're physically compatible? You've heard these things? It's garbage. If you're married, you've got a lifetime to figure it out. It's going to work. Don't, don't worry about that. The struggles that come with comparison because of all the partners that one has had prior far outweighs the struggles of trying to figure it out. I mean, it far outweighs the struggles of trying to figure it out. Now, I say all these things with fullness of, of conviction to protect you from making the mistakes have you not already made those mistakes? Also, many of us have perhaps already made those mistakes. And good news, God is gracious. And God is redemptive. And he restores. And it is not too late for you. God has a good gift for you still. And he has a great future for you. And so, we bring past sin to light. And we move forward in his grace. And there's hope. There's, there's great hope. For you, And then for others of us, maybe you're in the midst of one of these types of infidelity today in its various forms, and maybe there are some decisions before you today, some, some life changes that need to be made, like ceasing that physical relationship, like moving out, whatever it may be. And these are steps in the right direction. There's steps towards really God's best for you, and that is amazing physical intimacy inside of marriage. It's a great gift that God has for you. So, first is that God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to enjoy faithfulness. It's a great gift for sexual intimacy. And now he wants us to have fulfilling sexual intimacy. Let's look at fulfilling sexual intimacy if we can. Look again at verse 18 of Proverbs chapter 5. Look at, look at verse 18. He says, let your fountain be blessed. And he says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. And this is, uh, th- this verse um, really, you know, it's, w- we see the, the sexual fulfillment of each person in the marriage in view. He just brings it, he's talking about both the man and the woman here. So, let your fountain be blessed. Who is the fountain? In this illustration, the fountain is the wife. He's saying, let her be blessed in sexual intimacy. And then he goes on, he says, and 
for you, men, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Instructions for the man to find great joy in her physically, great fulfillment sexually in her for both men and women. And then he goes on in verse 19 and he says, she is a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. I love this. Let it be clear. God wants us to have fulfilling, delightful, intoxicating physical intimacy with your spouse. The, the language he's using here really speaks to it's fulfilling. Let it fill you. It's talking to being playful, being flirtatious, talking to, enjoying, intoxicating intimacy. That Hebrew word in the original language for intoxicating here means carried away in it. That means after a crazy day of chasing your children around the house, ladies, or men, after a long, hard day at work, it's been stressful and strenuous, you can escape it all. You can be carried away to another place in the intoxicating love of your spouse. Isn't that amazing? It just sounds amazing. It should sound amazing. Sexual intimacy should not be painted to those who have not been there yet as this dirty thing that's unspeakable. It should be painted as this amazing, incredible gift of God to look forward to. It's one of God's greatest gifts, and it will lead you to worship him more and more. But as with all of God's gifts, it should get better better with time. And as with all of God's gifts, it should be stewarded well. When God gives you a gift, financial resource, some kind of physical gift, we steward it well. We manage it well. And this is one of those things that we should work well with and, and learn to grow in. And so in order to get to this place of just glorious, fulfilling physical intimacy, we need some work. And what I want to do is I want to go back to two words that we looked at last week as we started this three weeks on intimacy. And, and, and I, want to, I want to look at these two words and the three types of intimacy that we're looking at. We, we started last week with uh, relational intimacy, this week with physical intimacy, next week with spiritual intimacy. And the two words that really apply to all three are honesty and humility. And honesty and humility lead to great fulfillment in physical intimacy. Let's start with honesty. Honesty, we talked about this last week. That honesty in a relationship is not simply not lying. Honesty in a relationship is offering full disclosure. I mean, full disclosure, where you open up. Hey, what works for you? What doesn't work for you? What's enjoyable? What's not enjoyable? Full disclosure in this relationship. And, and, and as I said earlier, um, it's funny how in the marriage relationship, we'll talk about everything, right? All the things that seem so important, like our budgets, home building, uh, our career, schedules. But this is one of those areas that spouses just don't tend to talk about. They just kind of let it happen. It's crazy, right? This is one of the most crucial pieces of marriage. Communicate, right? Communicate. Be honest about these. It's so vital to communicate in every aspect of our lives. We understand that. Why did people not communicate about this well men it might be because of pride men like to think they're born with the gift of lovemaking like they just know what they're doing it's pride that's why we're going to talk about humility in just a minute here let me just let me bring us once again to an important passage that we've been looking at through this series first peter chapter three first peter chapter three verse seven 
We've said this throughout the series several times. So important. It says this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. And that means understand her in this particular area, right? So men, let me help you out here. Let me try to help you understand. I've been doing a lot of reading on this in preparation. For us, as men, sex is fairly simple, right? For her, it's a little more complicated. A few weeks ago, we said this. We said, sex begins at breakfast. In other words, it's not just do this act. It means there's, there's so much more involved in it for her. Uh, a pastor who I just really admire, read a lot of his stuff, his name is C.J. Mahaney. In, in this book that he wrote, it's called Sex, Romance, and the Glory of God. And it's on our website. If you want to get the book, there's a link to Amazon on the site. You should totally get this book. Um, but here's, here's how he says it. He says it this way. He says, In order for romance to deepen, you must touch the heart and mind of your wife before you touch her body. Men like to go straight to just touch her body. And we need to touch other aspects of her. We need to engage her in other ways before we go right there. And, and, and men, there's so much to it for her beyond just the act itself. You always have to ask, have, have I engaged her throughout the, the day? Did I just turn the TV off but now immediately flip to try to turn her on? It's ridiculous, right? It, forget about it, right? Understand how she finds fulfillment and seek to understand her, live with her in an understanding way. Ladies, for you, let me help you understand men a little bit. Please understand that not all men are just barbarians. <laughs> now, I, I, I do need to say this, and, and to be serious, I understand that Sexual abuse is a very real thing. I mean, very real. And that is not okay. And if you need care because of that, uh, please let us know. We'd love to help you and point you to trusted resources. Please contact us, and, and men too, for that matter. Um, it's very real, and particularly in this neighborhood, it's, it's very real. And I, I'm convinced that Jesus can bring healing here. But Ladies, it's, it's easy to think about how men function in this way and just think, when it comes to physical intimacy, they're just barbarians, right? Listen to um, Sheila Gregoire. Um, she's a teacher on women and their sexuality, and, and she says it this way. I think it's really helpful to help you understand men a little bit. She says, the wife, she makes love because she feels love. He makes love to feel love. I say that again, make sure you get that. She makes love because it started at breakfast and because she feels love now. He makes love in order to feel love. And, and she goes on, and I didn't put it up there, but let me read it. She goes on, she says, in other words, when she doesn't feel loved, the last thing she wants is to make love. But when, she feel, when he feels distance, the thing he wants most is to make love because that's how he fixes everything. Well, that puts us in a real predicament, doesn't it? <laughs> what do we do? We just stare at each other? I mean, I don't know. This is where we insert that other piece that's so crucial, that second word, and that is humility. 
We have to insert humility. It means we have to be selfless. We have to be servants. Once again, this is where we insert the gospel, hence the gospel-centered marriage, that our marriage is centered on the good news of Jesus, and we love like Jesus, and Jesus loved and loves sacrificially and as a servant, and so we are to love sacrificially and as a servant, that we are to be servant lovers. Becky and I, on Friday night, we're, we're just talking this content over, because I've been trying to prepare and be ready for this, and we were talking this over, and she uh, read to me a devotional that she has, and I thought it further described men very well. This lady's name is Jen Hatmaker, and here's basically what she says. She says, girls are emotional creatures. Obviously. Amen. Girls are emotional creatures, and they're really good at drawing and getting emotional support from various places because that's how they function and they know how to receive it. Men, I'm going to surprise you women, men have emotional needs too. (laughs) And yet, men don't necessarily find all that emotional support in various places. They stand alone. So they stand alone at the workplace. A lot of times they stand alone as providers. A lot of times they just stand alone as men. They're independent and they're strong. And for him, for a man, sex with his wife is the the purest relief to that loneliness for a man. And so, ladies, in your arms, that's where he feels loved. That's where he feels accepted. It's where he feels desired. And so when, when he sees that you want him physically, you are serving him and you are helping him to succeed everywhere else in his life by showing him that you want him physically. And for him, sex is not just sex. A lot of women say, oh, it's just sex for him. It's just get this thing done. For him, it's not just sex. There's there's no stronger way that you can communicate your love to him. For him, he's more than just testosterone. That when you say no, he feels rejected. And when in your heart and in your mind, you're simply saying, I'm tired, and you mean it. I'm just tired. Here's what he's hearing. He's hearing, I don't want you. That's what he's hearing. My wife doesn't want me. I made myself vulnerable to her, but rejected. And men and women are different. We're equal, but we're different. And it's important to seek to humbly understand, humbly serve, and be honest about how you're different and what you need. And when you come to a stalemate, outserve each other and Philippians chapter 2, when you serve each other and when you lift each other up, guess what God does in the proper time, according to Scripture? In the proper time, he will exalt you. And so the best thing that you can do for you is you can serve them. And so be a servant lover. That means men, serve her in physical intimacy and keep in mind her innate makeup as a woman. And women, serve him in intimacy and keep in mind his innate makeup as a man. How can you serve your spouse 
It's a real question for you if you're married. Ask that, self, ask that question for yourself. How can you serve your spouse? Obviously, seeking to understand them, being honest with them. How can you serve them? But also, maybe it's for you just some, a few things practically. Physically care for your body, for them. Now, listen, don't be unrealistic and put unrealistic pressure on yourself or on your spouse. There are things that happen with age and time that are just unreversible. But care for yourself for them. You can serve each other by being creative and being romantic. Men, some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know what to do for date night tonight. I have no idea. You can serve them by working at getting creative. Work at it. Talk to other people. Got any creative ideas? What happened? What, I mean, what can I do? Where can I go? What's a great date spot? Serve them in that way. You can serve each other by getting in the mood when you're not in the mood, right? You can serve each other by being patient with them. You can serve each other by seeking to understand them and hear them and listen to them when you're not a good listener. Right? You serve them. You be a servant lover. And servant lovers, they communicate and they seek to understand so that they can serve better each time. And let me say this, as we're talking about finding fulfillment and in, in sexual intimacy, let me, let me just say this, that there will be problems. And I want to encourage everybody that problems in sexual intimacy are not uncommon. And so if you feel like you're all alone and isolated in this particular area, listen, it is not uncommon. And sometimes the problems simply take that honesty and that humility and some time. And other times, maybe there's something a lot deeper going on that maybe you need some, some counsel, some, some care. And that's okay as well. But I think the hope for all marriage, according to Scripture, is the same, and that is that God wants sexuality to be a blessing for you. He wants it to be fulfilling for you. And it will be as you apply biblical truth and honesty, and humility, and you love, and you serve like Jesus, it will be that. And so, God wants spouses to enjoy faithful, and fulfilling, and last one, frequent sexual intimacy. Now let's tackle frequent for a minute here. Look at Proverbs five nineteen again if we can. Here's what he says. A lovely deer... A graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Now, we can easily skip over two very important phrases in this passage, and that is, at all times with delight and intoxicated always in her love. All times and always. That God intends for all of this language that he's talking about here, on intimacy. He intends for it to be frequent. Remember, this kind of intimacy is, is a gift from God, and it's, it's really what it does is it, it's, it's restoration to our created state. Remember Genesis chapter 2, 25, before we fall into sin, man and woman. Before that, the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed, and so it's just a glimpse, a taste of our created state, what God had in, had in mind, its shamelessness, its freedom, it's a taste of the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's a, it's a gift of God intended to recharge you, to strengthen you, to deepen you in your marriage, to renew you, to restore your marriage. 
And we need this frequently, frequently. It's a refreshing gift of God. Now, the married people know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you had said to me 10 years ago, prior to getting married, that frequency is an issue for many people, I would have said, you're crazy. I mean, come on. It's going to be all the time. I mean, just all the time. In fact, I had an older man in my life back then who tried to teach me this truth, that you're going to have to really be uh, really disciplined to make sure that this area of your life doesn't slip. And so he tried to really teach me this lesson prior to getting married when I was engaged. I remember him sitting at a restaurant and talking with me and another buddy of mine who was engaged and trying to like, teach us this lesson, you know, being so wise and so much older and just a few years older and a little bit more uh, into his marriage than you know, we were. And he said this. He said, man, I had a, I had a buddy who uh, did a little experiment. And for every time they were intimate, during their first year of marriage, he put a penny in a jar. And then after that first year, every time they were intimate, he would take a penny out of the jar. He's like, they're years into their marriage now, and the jar's not empty. <laughs> I said, you got to be kidding me. You are crazy. He goes, no, man, it's, it's true. Frequency is a struggle. Don't take my friend's word. Take Pastor Paul's word. I mean, this goes all the way back through the scriptures, through the ages. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll put it on the screen for you here. I mean, try having a child lay in bed with you four nights a week because they just wet their own bed. In this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul addresses some of these questions that the church in Corinth asks him. And guess what one of the questions is about? It's about the lack of enough physical intimacy. And so listen to how Paul replies to this question. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 5. He says this. He says, But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife. There's that word, own wife again. And each woman her own husband. And the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Here it is. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, even then, they were talking about it in church, so I don't feel guilty here. What Paul is saying to this church, here's what he's saying. He's saying, in marriage, you have become one. You are no longer your own. He uses that word, right? Own. You are no longer your own. First, you are the Lord's, and then you are your spouse's. And he says, do not deprive one another. I mean, let's be clear. Do not deprive one another. And so let's, let's get really practical with this if we can for a minute. Never use sex for bargaining in your marriage. And that happens. If you do this, I'll do this. Never use sex as an ultimatum. If you don't do this, I won't do this. Never use sex as 
punishment or the lack of sex as punishment? I'm mad at him. I'm mad at her. Never keep points. Like, I did this today, and I did this, and I washed the car, and I took out the trash. You owe me. It sounds goofy, but it happens. I hear this stuff all the time. Sex is not currency. It is one of God's gifts, one of his gracious gifts, like Jesus is a gift, right? Jesus is a gift of God's grace. It means you don't earn it. It's a gift. And so sex is not something you earn. It's something you give. See how the gospel is central in our marriage? So important. Do not deprive one another. Paul goes on. There's one exception. If it hinders your prayers, you're seeking to really focus in and have just some deep time prayer, fasting with the Lord. In that case, I suppose, you can pause for a little while. And he says this. He even sounds a little skeptical as he talks, doesn't he? He says, except perhaps, I mean, like, maybe, if you have to, if, if it's necessary. He's not even real convinced in that. He, said, he goes on, he says, but just for a limited time. And this isn't a man who's married. Paul's never married. He just understands the theology of this, that this is so important. It's so crucial to your marriage to have a vibrant physical life together. He says, perhaps, just for a limited time. Why? Why be sure to have frequent sex? He goes on. He says, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He's saying, your sexual intimacy with your spouse is an area where Satan likes to come in and cause a wedge and likes to kill marriages. Do you hear this? One of the best ways to affair-proof your marriage is frequent physical intimacy. Listen, lack of sex never gives anyone an excuse to be unfaithful, ever, ever. And say, well, you know, Paul says, no. Listen, frequent physical intimacy with your spouse is really important. And it protects the marriage. It's, it's protection for your marriage as well as a great gift. And God has designed us to enjoy this as a gift. He's designed us that when we're apart, we should long for it. He's designed us so that when we are together, it causes us to feel closer than ever, and it causes you to want to grow closer together and, and to, to heal on numerous levels. That sex is this. Sex is the culmination of intimacy, but it's also a catalyst for greater intimacy. And it's this, this moment of just, it's, it's the rest of your marriage just summed up. It's the culmination of intimacy, but it's also catalytic where you're going to be greater and more intimate in your marriage if you're frequent in your physical intimacy. Because a lack of, of physical intimacy, as Paul says here, it causes drift. And from the beginning of time, that's what happened. The lack of physical intimacy is a result of sin, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing they did? Covered themselves up. Oh my goodness, we're naked. 
And they covered themselves up, hiding themselves from God and from each other. Because sin causes a lack of physical intimacy. And so Satan's like, this is good. If I can cause a wedge, man, I can destroy the closest human relationship, and that is marriage. He wants to kill your physical intimacy because he knows that if he can kill your physical intimacy, it can, in turn, potentially kill your marriage. And think about all the repercussions. If I can kill their marriage, I can destroy children. And if I can destroy children, I can destroy society. And if I can destroy society, generation after generation after generation will be affected. And so Satan's smart. He knows what he's doing. And Paul says, listen, be together. Be together. It's so, so important. Let me give you some, some things to look out for. Some, some tools that the enemy likes to use to put a wedge in your intimacy. And we're going to call them little foxes. And here's why. Put another scripture up here for you. Song of Solomon chapter 2. Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15. This, this book, the Song of Solomon, is the most sexually frank book in the Bible. It's a discourse between Solomon and his bride. And in this verse, they're talking about, really poetically, about the, the foxes that, that spoil their intimacy. So don't ever let anybody say, oh, the Bible's boring and it doesn't go there. No, it does go there. And it's talking about the, the foxes that spoil intimacy. And, and here's what it says. It says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. Very poetic. And there are, are little foxes that can spoil the fruit of the vineyard of physical intimacy. And they might be little foxes, right? They're just running around and seeking, you know, not, not very frightening, not, doesn't seem like a big deal. But they can keep you from enjoying one of God's greatest gifts and in turn can be used by the enemy to cause a wedge in your marriage, affecting children, society, generations, the world. And so here's how we close up today, and here's how we begin to respond. We, we need to just start to identify what are some of those little foxes. We've talked about a lot of them already. Maybe you already are, have identified some in your mind, in your heart. What are some of those, those little foxes that are hurting your intimacy or could be close to hurting your intimacy, could be hurting your marriage, could hurt your children? and identify them so that you and your spouse or your future spouse can enjoy this gift. And let me recap some of the ones we've already talked about as we close. Some of the little foxes might be an idealized view of sex. Just inaccurate sources, you know, locker room talk, television. doesn't work like that all the time. And maybe just an inaccurate view of sex is a little fox for you and you need to be more realistic. Maybe another little fox, maybe it's actually a big fox, is infidelity of any kind is a fox that will spoil the vineyard and will kill and destroy. That is, outside of marriage, inside of marriage, prior to marriage, emotional affairs, infidelity. Another fox is a lack of a gospel focus in your marriage. If Jesus isn't the glue that's holding your marriage together, both of your eyes aren't looking at him, 
you've got very weak things holding you together. Well, I'm, I'm pretty good at being loyal. Not without Jesus, you're not. He's our example of perfect loyalty. You need to get a gospel focus at the center of your marriage, and that'll be strong, strong glue. Maybe another fox for you is just failure to be honest with your spouse. This is not really good for me. It's not really fun for me. I don't want to tell him. I don't want to tell her. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to be honest. So honesty is not just simply not lying. It's failure to disclose. And it's good for you, and it's good for them. So be honest. That's a little fox. Maybe failure to be humble towards your spouse. You're very prideful in sexual intimacy. Got it all together. I don't have anything to learn. I'm good. Or maybe it's all about me. It's selfish, and you're not serving. And it's a, it's a fox that is spoiling the vineyard and has repercussions that you might not even know are coming, but they're coming. Pride, of course, as we've said. We could call that ignorance. You're not learning what your spouse needs. It's your pride. Maybe busyness is a fox. Just too busy. I don't have time to be romantic. Listen, this needs to be a priority. Romance needs to be a priority. I don't apologize for date nights with my wife. I don't feel guilty that I take her out somewhere nice every now and again. It's money well spent. It's an investment in my marriage, therefore in my children, therefore in this church. Don't ever say I'm too busy for this. It's it's not good. It's a fox. Bitterness is a fox. This is very real. Maybe you're mad at them. You're upset with them. You're bitter. And you're punishing your spouse by withholding intimacy with them. Here's what failure to forgive is. Failure to forgive is not just you punishing them. More than anything, it's you punishing you. You're punishing yourself by not forgiving somebody. They're going on with their life, and you're hurting. You're not punishing them. You're punishing yourself. It's a a little fox that is destroying the vineyard. Tiredness. Sometimes we're just too tired. needs to be a priority. What can you change? Broken communication. It's a little fox. We don't talk about it. Communicate. It's so important in every other area of our lives. You've got to communicate. You've got to communicate. Maybe that's the first thing you need to do today is, well, Josh talked about it. I guess I'll just talk about it. Let's talk. Talk to, talk to your spouse about it. I could go on and on and on and on and on. I'm sure there are more. Maybe God's already identified some really specific little foxes in your life that need to be addressed that are spoiling the vineyard? What are the the little foxes that the enemy has set loose and they're just running around? They don't seem like a big deal, but they're destroying the vineyard. And they have repercussions that you don't even know about. Identify them so that you can confess them and address them and move forward in God's great gift. God's really good gift for you. Now, I'll say this. For every single person in this room, there is not one single exception. 
God's grace is available for you. God's grace and forgiveness is available for you. Do not think, well, my situation is really bad. You know whose situation was really bad? The Apostle Paul, who says a lot of this stuff. He was the guy out there killing Christians. He oversaw the persecution and the murder of the very first Christian martyr. And now God has him teaching us on grace. The irony of that. God's grace is available for you. You feel like you've messed up. I've blown it. You haven't blown it. You've made some mistakes. You sin. We all sin. But God still has a gift waiting for you, and he wants to give you a new start. He wants to give you hope. He says, listen, trust in Jesus, who is your forgiveness. He has come and walked this earth and lived this life that we live perfectly. And he says, listen, I didn't have to die because I was sinless. And the wage of sin is death, but I didn't sin, so I don't deserve that wage. I deserve life. But he died. And so if we look to him and say, Jesus died for me, he took on my punishment, he died in my place, and I trust in Jesus, not in my own works because I've messed up. The Bible says if you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. That's a free gift. You didn't earn it. He gives it to you. Some of us just today need to trust in Jesus as a starting point and receive that grace. Some of us Christians have mis- made mistakes, and we need to receive that grace. Not that you become a Christian again, but you just need to be reminded of it. God is gracious. God is forgiving. He's extended it to you. It's yours. Receive it. And have a new, fresh start so that you can have this great gift that God has for you. He's good. He loves you. And he wants you to enjoy this gift. He wants all of us, all of us, every single one of us, to enjoy this gift that he's given us of of intimacy first with him. And then should it be his plan for you, his will for you, intimacy with a spouse. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these truths of Scripture. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you've given us because we've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. Every single one of us, we've struggled with lust. We've made sins in this area. Thank you that you've forgiven us, Lord. You are good. I pray that every single person in this room would receive it, that it would deeply impact them in their marriage. God, do your work in our hearts. Do your work in our lives, God. Pray that you would rise up healthy marriages in this church and in this neighborhood and in this city. It will really impact the community as healthy marriages, healthy testimonies of the relationship with Christ in this church rise up. And so God, would you do that work in us? We love you. We thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name we pray.